Yeah, I'm in the back room of my parents' house, setting fire to the rain. Oh, man, it is good to be here. I'm pumped. I actually have to say, I've been looking forward to this, so nice. Uh, thanks for having me. Oh, we are thrilled to have you. Um, how many how many interviews do uh, you do, like in a given week or month or so? Uh, you know, I could do one a week, but I, try, I don't take them all just because sometimes you're not, you know, sometimes you get these obscure little radio stations and I've got other things I need to do and I'm like, I don't know if there's going to be three people listening to this, yeah. you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So with us, oh, so with us, you're lucky. You'll have at least five people listening. So yeah, Yay. pretty much my auntie and whoever else decides that they want to listen. <laughs> <laughs> Giving a shout out right now to the ladies group at Saint Anthony of Padua. <laughs> you go, Saint Anne Society members. Keep on trucking. They, they're my biggest fans. Now, now, are you going to tell me when we're recording, or is that part of the trick? Uh, we don't tell me. No, literally, we're recording all right now. Yeah, so, we're recording. Yeah. So every time we record someone uh, who is not like uh, our best friend from college, which has been like three uh-huh. other people, uh, uh-huh. they all they're all like, "Is is this a show?" And we're like, "Yep, it's the show." <laughs> Surprise! <laughs> we don't know what we're doing, so <laughs> this is how we do. But no, so we just wanted to. Everything that we do is a conversation. All we ask is that you. Uh, share a little bit more about your personal life, not just the ministry Absolutely. that you do. Oh, also, you should be drinking, too. Yeah, you should probably have alcohol in your system. Actually, I am drinking. I'm drinking. Look, listen to this. It's the first time I've had this. It's ginger beer and vodka. Ooh. Ooh. How is oh, it? Okay. I feel that both of you gave me a sound of re- repulsion. Oh, no, no, no. No, Luke's was excited. Was more. Ooh. Yeah, Luke's oh, right. <laughs> you know, it's lovely. You know, in Australia, there's a very popular beer, well, ginger beer. It's called Bundaberg ginger beer. And it's pretty different to a lot of ginger beers here. They're not as spicy here, not as kind of bitey. Okay. But I found one today that was uh, nice. nice day. Yeah, yeah. Mm. So, Matt, why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about yourself? Um, now, you have a, I believe that's a German accent. Uh, and uh, just tell us, tell us where you come from, how you got set up in your ministry, how I moved into your apartment when you were newlyweds, just things like yeah. that. That just kind of comes up from your... Uh, your background. <laughs> I'd be I'd be happy to. And you you interrupt me if I start getting boring, and I'll just quickly diverge into something different. All right. <laughs> Fair enough. So I, I grew up in a, a little country town in South Australia, about three hours north of the capital city called Adelaide. Uh, throughout my teenage years, I decided God probably didn't exist, and uh, decided I was agnostic. I think at the time, atheist had not yet become a shorthand way of saying. Uh, you know, I'm more intelligent than you. Uh, if it if it had, oh, I, I probably would have adopted it, but it, it didn't. So I just thought, no, I, I just don't know. You know, and it wasn't until I was 17 years old and my mum invited me to go to World Youth Day in Rome um, that that's when I encountered the Lord in a very powerful and personal way, which quite honestly kind of changed the trajectory of my life. And um, what yeah, what happened? Uh, what yeah. happened with that when you're in Rome? That's the one World Youth Day I desperately wanted to go to but couldn't. And I burn, yeah, burn I, in regret ever since. Do you know, I, I don't like, it's funny. It's, it's hard to answer that question. I'm okay. going to, but let me tell you first <laughs> why it's hard to answer it. It'd be like me trying to say to you, you know, like the second greatest day of my entire life was marrying my bride, Cameron. And you're like, oh, wow, what happened? And I feel like as good a job as I might do in trying to explain it, at the end, you'd probably go, okay, cool. And I'd be like, no, you don't get it. Like it changed my life. Oh, yeah, no, I got, cool story. No, you know. <laughs> 
Um, and so, yeah, it was just during that time I was uh, forced to spend time with young Catholic Christians who believed what the church taught and believed Jesus existed and that they could talk to him. And um, they were actually rather normal too, unlike many selves. Well, it does, I mean, my mum would always... We, I grew up, in, as I say, a small country town, so there wasn't a lot of young Catholics. And so I kind of felt like there was like one or two in the church with me and my mum kind of kept trying to set me up on play dates with them as I'm a teenager. <laughs> yeah, why don't you hang out with Martin? He seems like a lovely boy. How about you leave me alone, okay? I don't want to hang out with Martin. He smells funny and I don't like this hat or something. Um, so, and then the only Christians I met were the sort of um, evangelical type who were, you know, phenomenally awesome people, I'm sure, but their enthusiasm terrified me. Uh, and so when I was confronted with these young adult Catholic Christians who were normal, you know, funny, articulate, intelligent, that really got me thinking a little because I had kind of contemplated a lot of these big questions. If God doesn't exist, what does that mean for human meaning and all that sort of thing? And that was pretty bleak. And so I was open to it. And uh, as I chatted with them, as I prayed with them, as they invited me to pray with them, I think my heart and mind became open more and more to the possibility that God did exist and that maybe there was some truth to this after all. And I think that really sort of set the stage for a few encounters I had with the Lord uh, during different prayer times uh, in which I don't know how else to say it except like it was this incredible infusion of joy. Like, um, yeah, uh, uh, it's like something I hadn't experienced before and like encountering a person, really. And that was pretty phenomenal and I so I came home like one of those happy clappy Christians that scared everybody I kind of I always joke I wish my mum had have locked me in my closet for a few months not my closet maybe just my room you know as you say yeah just stay in there <laughs> settle down and I'd say from behind the door I'll pray a rosary for you and she'd say this is what we're talking about shut up <laughs> that's and, awesome yeah man and, and then I was just crazy i mean i was that catholic i would go to the same parties i used to get drunk at and i would bring my bible and i would literally sit down and ask people to come and listen to me as i tell them about jesus and i know that's probably really imprudent but from my point of view this is how i saw things okay i know i didn't think he existed either but guess what he does and he loves you right and i honestly thought they would be like oh my goodness dude wow I'm like, I know, you're welcome. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I've it, been there. It didn't go down like that many times, but nope. that, that's all right. I remember know? one um, time when I was a freshman in high school, I told a girl who was spiritual but not religious, who was tending towards Buddhism, that Buddha didn't die for her sins and she would se be separated from God for all eternity. And she just looked at me and was like, I don't think I want to talk to you anymore. And I was like, well, <laughs> you're the incredibly gorgeous popular one, and I'm the, I'm the troll-looking guy, so uh, much ado. I'll talk to you later. <laughs> you're like, what do I have to lose, right? Exactly, <laughs> exactly. Doing. Turns out there are a couple rungs underneath where I was currently at socially, and, and I went there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I was the guy, you know, we had different groups at school, as you do, and, and our group was sort of like, people called us... Um, the Metallica group or something because we all were just obsessed with Metallica. Gotta ride the lightning. Oh, Gotta ride the lightning. Yeah. yeah, I had that shirt. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> we'll come back to that. I don't understand that, but you can go on. What? You don't understand Metallica? Yeah. I never just got it. I just, I never got it. Oh my like it gosh. Just, it, it never, I, I don't know. I just, it never clicked Ugh. for me. Ugh. I don't get that. I love Metallica. 
Yeah, me too. Me too. Actually, their, their latest live album, uh, what's it called? I don't know. I, I, anyway, I, I, I listen to, I'm, I'm a Ride the Lightning Master of Puppets Black album. Like a little yeah, awesome. of load, but it kind of goes away from there. Yeah, I, I remember being so obsessed with Metallica in like grade eight and nine. I remember saying to my friend, you know, if they had a best of Metallica, they'd have to have like nine different editions. And the first <laughs> one would be all the songs from Kill 'Em All. And the next one would be all the songs from Light the Lightning. And the next one, I'm like, yeah, we get it. Okay. <laughs> That's awesome. And then that one song from Load. <laughs> I like the album they did with uh, the orchestra from uh, San Francisco. Oh, wasn't that beautiful. That was yeah, really that's cool. awesome. Uh, anywho, anyway, so <laughs> <laughs> to Metallica. Where, where do you where do you want me to go? I, so uh, no, you were just talking you about you were just talking about being the Metallica kids at school, and uh, that was your group and all that good stuff. Yeah, I, I feel like I, I don't usually speak about this in my talks, so I'd like to kind of maybe talk a little bit about it here. You know, just oh sure, yeah, the perfect uh, yeah, venue. And that, yeah, and exactly. I feel like we're among friends, and I hope that's the sort of spirit people come to this podcast in. You know what I mean? Like. When you're with friends, you can you can say a few things that you might not say, you know, on stage or when you're being interviewed, and you would hope that people would be just sort of like, you know, chill, give you the benefit of the doubt, right. like mm-hmm. like like Catholic apologists give Pope Francis the benefit of the doubt. That would be, be sweet. <laughs> deep down, they're all like, <laughs> the people who don't give you who won't give you the benefit of the doubt, Luke has alienated them all on Reddit, so you're totally fine. <laughs> yeah, Luke Luke has officially kicked off the Catholic subreddit, but that's okay. Oh, that's okay. Right. Well, hey, look, so here's what happened. So, I mean, I was just, as I say, I was very enthusiastic. And let me tell you two things that happened to me. I certainly don't share these things to brag, but just to try and give you, an, you know, an idea of, of how sold out for the Lord I was. And, you know, I'm sure this isn't unusual. Perhaps you've had similar experiences. But, okay, so one was I went on this trip to Sydney um, uh, shortly after my trip to Rome. And I remember just, like, chatting with this homeless guy. I didn't have shoes. I'm like, oh, I got shoes? I- took them off and gave them to him and didn't have shoes for the rest of the trip. I came home and told my parents like I was such a saint. And they said, Matthew, your grandma gave you those shoes. It's very selfish of you. Didn't see that one coming. But <laughs> yeah, that's just an example. It just, I just love doing that stuff. Or, you know, I remember we had this face painting day not at school. We had a number of activities were going on at school. We were raising money for a third world country or something. And uh, I sat down and I said, could you please paint Jesus just the, the words, Jesus, across my face in gold. And she went, I'm across your face in, that's right, across my face in gold. <laughs> what? What is that? You know, I'm, Jesus was either face palming or just being like, that's cool. I get it. I get it. You're, I, have, yeah. I had that effect on Peter. I have that effect on you. It's cool. You're young. When I was, yeah. when I was in high school, I got a, a Chevy S10 truck and I put the letters Catholic boy. Across the front windshield. <laughs> the new evangelization in action. <laughs> I thought I was going to convert people by uh, talking about the really good Christian rock bands that I listened to. Uh, Didn't work out. No. Because they're not that good in comparison to the uh, larger market. <laughs> Squad 5 was fantastic. That's a good point. Anywho, so cool. Uh, yeah, it's so funny when you have conversion experiences, right? And you just want to convert the world. Like, you were lukewarm a month ago, and now you're a firecracker, and no one knows what the hell to do with you, you know? Yeah, that's kind of it. Yeah. Anyway, so I, I, that's kind of where I was coming from. And yeah, immediately, the first thing I wanted to do was become a priest, because I thought, well, everyone keeps saying you need to know what you're doing after high school. I went to Rome when I was in my senior year of high school. I had no idea what I wanted to do and thought it was pretty unfair that everyone else was pretending to or that they did know. 
Uh, and so I just thought, I don't know, maybe I'll be a chef or something. That sounds mildly respectable. What do, <laughs> what do you want from me? After I came to Christ, I just thought, all I want to do is grow in this relationship and tell more people about him. Uh, and so priesthood seemed like the obvious choice. Um, and so I began discerning that. I went on Net Ministries in Canada. I was then, uh, which stands for National Evangelization Team. You oh, put on, cool. yeah, you put on teams of like 12 or 8 depending on whether you're in a traveling team or a parish team. Mm-hmm. And you sent out throughout the country running high school retreats. So I did that in Canada. And then I was on the very first team that went to Ireland. So short plug here for Net Ireland. If nice. you hate the sun, love Guinness and Jesus, not in that order, <laughs> then you should apply to Net Ministries of Ireland because I did that. And that's where I met my wife, Cameron. Um, Gomer, did you know Cameron before I did? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I've known her. Oh, that's yeah, I, she um, she was affiliated with St. Anthony of Padua Youth Ministry. That's right. Uh, yeah. She was she was there all the time. Uh, now this was what two thousand and two, three or three, I think. Yeah, so uh, I went to Franciscan in two thousand and one, and I would come back and I would just see her everywhere. Um, and I knew that she was helping out, and then she was employed at I think she was at St. Simon and Jude for a little bit, right? And then, That's right. And then, but she was always at St. Anthony's, and she was always hanging out with Barb, my boss, um, who was then my youth minister, and um, just doing, helping ministry happen and all that good stuff. And then she went down to, um, after Net Ireland, y'all came back to Houston, and she went down to St. Thomas More, right? I got that? Yeah. So yeah. She, yeah, so she was working with Annie Hickman at St. Thomas More yeah. right after Net Ministries of Ireland, and... Um, I just, she was the most incredible woman I've ever met. Just like massively sassy and just never shut up. And <laughs> I found myself wanting to compete with her for people's attention. We were both very loud and similar. And at first she annoyed me. And then I was like, you're the most beautiful thing I've ever met in my life. And so I, you know, left my job in Australia after Net Ireland, moved to Texas in 2005. So the end of 2005, we got engaged January 2006 and married that August. And uh, yeah, and then, and then awesome. you know, shortly after that, we moved to Ireland for three years. And that's when, Goma, you took up residence in the flat we were trying to give away, I think. <laughs> it was the worst apartment slash best apartment uh, of all time. I'm sure we just, I'm, I don't know how we tried to sell it to you. Oh, you're going to love the really angry black woman that screams, you know, at people and at her car in the morning at 5 a.m. outside your window. Yeah. She's a treat. Yeah, yeah. She, uh, no, so for us, the greatest, the greatest thing about this terrifying apartment uh, was that the utilities were included in the rent. So the utility prices never changed. So I literally, when I found that out, I walked straight up to the thermostat, dropped it down <laughs> as cold as it would go, turned it to on, and we never touched the air conditioning after that. It was on full blast, day and night. Uh, it <laughs> was the awesome. be- In fact, the condensation built up so much, it spilled out of a hole in the, uh, in the, in the ceiling and uh, on, onto a counter, and we would just put a cup uh, on the counter to catch it, and uh, we didn't care. We just kept it going. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, why not? Yeah, yeah. Although, Matt, I do have to say, uh, because so how we did it was you were going to go. So I got onto the lease. You guys got off the lease. And then I brought in uh, my buddy Jonathan and then my buddy Brian, who uh, brother Peter Francis that we uh, that we did the interview with in the past. Um, But the funniest thing about it was you guys were going to Ireland. You're like, listen, we just got married. We've got all this stuff. 
we're not going to take the stuff. You guys can have our plates and cups and dishes. <laughs> I was wondering where they went. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I must have forgotten that I gave them away. Yeah. yeah, no, you gave all those colorful and misshapen plates that don't stack well uh, to us. Uh, and we promptly broke about eight of them on accident because they were all different shapes because you people are kooky free spirits. And, uh, uh, yeah, yeah. But I did lose my deposit uh, because you guys love candles and you have burnt so much wax. <laughs> into those carpets. You, oh yeah. Are you serious? Oh, really? Oh yeah. You're welcome. So this is an intervention, <laughs> actually. Actually, this is, this is this is. brought you on this show to <laughs> demand the money back. Yeah. We like to make our problems public. <laughs> so you know what, buddy? I hate you. That's why you're. No, I'm just kidding. So. Oh, okay. Yeah. So that was so funny because you you did youth ministry, um, for a little bit in Houston, and then how did you make it out to? So you did net Ireland. What is that like? When I was in Ireland. Uh, we went to um, uh, I went to a local pub. Um, I met this guy whose name was uh, Willie O'Farrell. So I was like, "Will Farrell?" He bought me beer all <laughs> night long, and I and we just talked about Catholicism. And he was shocked. Yeah. I was with eleven people, um, and he was shocked that uh, that we were young and would go to church. So he invited us to his church. We backpacked it over there. When we walked in, they literally treated us like royalty. We were the yeah. we were. I mean, what we were, I was like twenty one at the time. The next youngest was like 65. And we walked uh, yeah. in. And we walked yeah. in. We went to Mass. Before Mass, they're like, Father, Father, this is the guy I was telling you about. This is Mickey Joe over here. And I'm like, hello. People call me Michael. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and then afterwards, we went to this little side room, which I guess is their version of a parish hall. And they, like, all these people bought food and brought it to us. And they're like, yeah, we hear your young college students here. Take and eat. Take and eat. You know, tell us about yourself. Why do you like Jesus? And I was like, oh, gosh, I don't know. So it was it was a it was a trip. What's it like trying to evangelize there? Well, you know, I think it's like probably most cases or most places, it's a different thing to visit a place than to live in a place. Oh, yeah. And uh, I don't know. I think it's because of the constant rain in Ireland that's sort of produced this sort of um, beautiful hospitality. You know, come in out of the cold. Let me give you a cup of tea, sort of thing. Nice. Um, but we lived in what's called the Gaeltuck in Gidor in the northwest in County Donegal, where Gaelic was the primary la- language. So, um, you know, even the high school students and the primary school students, they spoke Gaelic at recess and lunch. Oh, wow. Yeah. And then I sang in Gaelic, would you believe, at mass and you know, led the rosary in Gaelic. And it was one of those sorts of things where if there was one Polish person who came to mass, you could set out the Polish readings. But if there were, you know, 50 people who didn't understand Gaelic and you put out English uh, mass readings, uh, you would be ostracized, <laughs> you know. Uh, <laughs> so they were a little afraid of the encroaching in- English language. And given their history, maybe that's OK. But yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, so I think it was a beautiful time for my wife and I just to sort of uh, evangelize together and to develop these ministries together. Uh, and having only to rely on each other. We didn't have friends. We didn't have family. And that certainly made things difficult. But I think it was also a very anointed time, as difficult as it was, yeah. That's awesome. That's really cool. So, like, what uh, type of ministries were, were, you, were you all doing out there? Well, um, we, you know, um, we would do whatever we could. We would do rosaries. You know, uh, we would do uh, a rosary group every week. Mm-hmm. We would lead a Bible study from time to time. You know, Mark Hart has that fantastic... I think it's called T3 Bible study or something. Teen mm-hmm. timeline. Oh, <laughs> yeah. So we did that. And, 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 you know, like that might 
and I don't think it's lame, but I, you know, maybe over time some people might look at that and go, oh, wow, it's a little outdated. But in Ireland, where there is absolutely nothing like it, they just were blown away. You know, they thought this, and it is terrific. I mean, it Mark is, does yeah. a phenom- phenomenal job. And, and so they really liked that. And, um, yeah, just little things. We took them on pilgrimages to, to different uh, shrines and things like that. And um, as you say, Mike, you know, Michael, Mike, what do you go by? Uh, Gomer. 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 <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, um, as you said, Yoma, you know, they, they were so impressed at having young people that it was just weird for them. Yeah. You know, so we would teach, teach religion in the high schools, not in Gaelic. Um, yeah. And so we established the Net Ministries of Ireland office uh, up there in Donegal before moving. So, and in fact, so bring, coming into the porn topic, which let's face it, is probably why you have me on. Um, <laughs> it, was, it, it was during that time in Ireland that I really began to find a good degree of freedom from pornography and that I decided to kind of, you know, be, start up some things uh, like a website and stuff. So that's where the kind of genesis of all this stuff began. Wow. So, so um, I will be honest. I'm just now starting to understand what are like all the different like ministries and activities that people do in the Catholic world here. So like, what are you like, what are you currently doing uh, with with the pornography issue, if you will, to call it that. Oh, sure, yeah. Well, I mean, right now, I guess, like, I'm the founder of a website called theporneffect.com, which is a site for Catholic young adults, you know. Uh, It's kind of an online community. We put up articles, videos, um, audio, you know, um, about breaking free of porn, that kind of thing. And I I travel and speak to around 70,000 teens and young adults, almost primarily on this topic. And then I also help run a site called Integrity Restored, which is a site for families and priests. Um, that's awesome. So that's what I do. But that kind of found its genesis in Ireland. I remember <laughs> waking, and this is a kind of like one of those defining moments in my life, uh, even though it'll sound sort of lame. I remember waking up one night, it was about two in the morning, and just having this thought that I needed to do something. Um, and this is what I thought. Are you ready? I thought, okay, well, I need to start a website. I need to make a pamphlet and I need to record my talk. Uh, and I was aware that none of these things were original or, you know, revolutionary. Hmm. I was very aware of that. And yet what else do you do yeah, no when you feel moved to get the word out? And so I remember trotting down to my office the next morning and starting up a really dinky little website. It was called whodoesithurt.com. And um, shortly after, a priest got in touch with me and said, you know, I like what you're doing. And I said, I'd like to make it you know, a little better. He said, how much do you need? I said, well, you know, maybe $12,000. And he said, here you go. I said, oh, thank you very much. Oh, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah, so God bless him. Um, yeah, so we, we kind of started that. We changed the name to The Porn Effect. And, you know, just started getting in, in, invited to speak on different things. Like the Irish Morning Show had me and Cameron speak on it and people can watch that on youtube that was like (laughs) six years ago uh the two of us and i think they were looking for a sob story right they were looking for oh matthew was you know up to his eyeballs and just terrible stuff and poor cameron but instead i think what they found was two people who were just evangelizing like woo, you know like god is good sex is good he's got a beautiful plan for your love life and he doesn't want that beautiful plan to be thwarted and made boring by pornography that kind of thing um so that's kind of where it all started that's really cool that's uh, so like that when you talk about this 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 stuff that has to lead to some pretty like interesting 
experiences? Like, what's been, like, kind of the most out of, like, left field, whoa, <laughs> that was awesome, or, like, whoa, that was horrible? Yeah, I mean, I could give you stories all day. Here's, here's a couple. While I was in Ireland, um, I invited a f- someone I met. Uh, she was a former pornography performer from California. I flew her out to Dublin, and we rented the jazz club in Dublin, Ireland. And uh, I interviewed her on stage while we both had a Guinness and chatted. And I remember the jazz club saying, hey, I'm going to throw in free audio and visual for bringing a porn star to Dublin. And I, I, remember, I remember saying to the guys who were working with me, nobody tell him we're against porn. Let's just let him find out on his own. You know? And so we created some flyers in Dublin and we would hand them out. Hey, come on, there's a, free, there's a porn star going to be speaking about the reality of porn tonight. And, wow. and that, was, that was real fun. So that's kind of an out of left field sort of thing. Um, that's so great. <laughs> Oh yeah, but, that is that is where you uh, you use the uh, uh, the energy of the secular world against itself. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 to kind of bring us down, though, I guess I I am actually I've kind of changed my tactic um, because it's been my experience. I, I've had the opportunity of knowing personally and 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 walking alongside people who have been in the industry, both men and women. Um, a Playboy producer who I helped bring into the church, who you know now seems to be in a bit of trouble. Uh, former, you know, prostitutes, strippers. But my experiences, especially those who are on the other side of the camera, by that I mean the performers, they've they've suffered so much trauma oh, wow. that that in my experience, I just don't know if it's prudent to get them up on stage again and start asking them questions, yeah. even if they are tactful in their um, answers. Yeah. I, I just feel like they've been so deeply hurt that I, I just don't, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure it does good, but I, that's a decision I've made is I just, I don't know if that's what I want to do. Yeah. Is it, it, so is it too traumatizing for them to have to relive it or is it just like too awkward or? You know, I, I think it might be this. I just don't want to use them. Like I don't oh, want to yeah. use, that's kind of the thing. I don't want to put them up on stage and use them mm-hmm. to help promote my thing. And that's of course, yeah. hopefully not my intention. Uh, you know, but I, I, I don't know. I just feel like a lot of healing needs to take place once you've been in that position. And mm-hmm. sometimes being in a position of leadership, if, if you were being a voice, I can see in my personal experience has been too much for some of them. And so I guess yeah. I'll just leave it at that. But and then, and then as far as other things, as I said earlier, I speak to t- tens of thousands of people every year. And the conversations I have with teens after these talks, I mean, they blow me away. They blow, they blow me away. And uh, one example would be um, recently heard a guy who said, by the way, we'll get into this a little later. But I mean, there's this growing phenomena that uh, people are beginning to speak about porn induced erectile dysfunction. Huh? And so if you've been wondering why you've been seeing more and more advertisements for Viagra, et cetera, the answer seems to be as close as your iPhone. Uh, People like um, uh, Dr. Abraham Morgenthaler, who's the clinical urologist at Harvard Medical School, is, you know, probably the guy who's speaking out about this. Uh, And so that's been my experience. I heard a guy recently say... um, I tried to have sex with my girlfriend and I couldn't get an erection even though I was attracted to her. And he said, and what's sad is if I were looking at images of her on my computer, I would be able to get an erection. And I just thought, God, have mercy. People people do not understand 
the connection between a massively decreased libido, like a sexual drive for sex with actual human beings, your your spouse especially, and the use of pornography. Like, I mean, it's, it's astronomical to the point where, so I do adult faith formation right now, and um, I have couples that come to meet me. Uh, I think now they finally trust me as a layperson. Like, I'm not a deacon. I'm not a priest. And <laughs> so it took me, now I'm on my third year, and it's like, oh, okay, this guy, you know, like one time I admitted uh, in front of one of our groups, you know, that you know I had looked at pornography and was an addict to pornography for X amount of years. And, um, and this guy came up to me, and he's like, I need to talk to you. I want to talk to you. Let's set up an appointment. We set up an appointment, and you can just trace the line. Like, they don't, I, they don't even need to tell me. Their wives come up, and they're like, you know, we haven't, you know, he's been looking at pornography, and I go, okay, when was the last time you had sex? And uh, it always throws them back, but then they, when they answer truthfully, it's been years or once this year over and oh i wish it were isolated but it's not it's like every single couple where the man looks at pornography their entire sexual relationship plummets so they have because they have zero intimacy now because he's transferring it you know to these images and all this stuff and uh and honestly like so the first thing i say is okay well you need to get out of pornography okay well how do i do that and i'm like uh, okay well here's my cell phone number every time you're tempted call me no one ever takes me up on that because I think they're ashamed to call the church guy. But I'm like, but this is the only way I found freedom is by having someone journey alongside you and, and remind you. And it can't just, it, it should be your spouse as one of that. But I feel like for a lot, especially for a lot of men, I mean, there are plenty of women who struggle with this, but men um, need men in their lives that they can actually talk to. Men have this weird thing where they don't actually talk. So uh, I don't have that problem, but uh, other men do. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's rampant that you're seeing this. I'm glad. What, what was the doctor's name out of Harvard? Uh, Dr. Abraham Morgenthaler. Dr. Abraham Morgenthaler. Man, that sounds like yeah, a Harvard that, name. Right? Last name spelled M-O-R-G-E-N-T-A-L-E-R. Yeah. Cool. And so if you are, are a guy that is, that is, that is experiencing this, and, it's, and especially if you are married like how, like where, like how do you say here's how you can find hope? Mm. Like where's the hope in this? Well, let me just kind of speak a little bit to what Goma said, and then I'll, I'll answer. Oh sure, that. yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So in in my experience, there team there tends to be one uh, of two directions uh, the couple's sex life might go if the man is immersed in pornography. And so one is just like you said, Goma, this complete uh, disinterest in sexual relations with his wife. Uh, but the second is that he begins to bring these sorts of uh, oh, yeah. uh, perverted, violent fantasies into the bedroom. Yeah. Uh, and in which case, I think the wife just feels degraded. And if you feel degraded, you're probably not in a place to climax. And so you're not enjoying sex as the wife and you're not satisfied, and then that just sort of breeds contempt among the couple, that sort of thing. I think it was Carol Wojtyla in Love and Responsibility who said why it's so important that a woman enjoy sex. Yeah. Uh, he even went as far as to say that a husband should lead his bride to orgasm and whenever possible at the same time, and said that uh, you know it's it's the woman may come to just resent sex if she doesn't enjoy it. And um, but as well as erectile dysfunction, um, Dr. Marianne Layden, who's a therapist in the Northeast, psychotherapist. Uh, and again, I, I want to point out, whenever I speak at high schools, I never quote Christians. So right, in this right. interview, I'm going to be quoting people who are not Christians, right? They might be religious, but they're not Christians. Okay? I mean, 
Yeah, uh, and so um, <laughs> Luke hates she, Christians. She, <laughs> so she says that one is erectile dysfunction, the other is premature ejaculation. That these are two very common side effects. Now we're also seeing this happen in um, with women, sexual dysfunction. So my wife and I just released a book called Restored. It's true love, uh, sorry, true stories of love and trust after porn. Now this is a book for wives who were suffering betrayal, trauma due to their husband's porn use. And in here, in one of the stories, it was the wife who encouraged her husband to watch porn with her. She was already watching it. And she shared with me that there was a time where she couldn't climax and that she would have to leave her husband in the bedroom to go and look at porn, however she looked at it, to sort of heat herself up enough to come back. Now, I think here's a lovely argument against porn. And it's very simple. And it's just this. It's unbeautiful. And I think all of us want love lives that are beautiful and that there is nothing beautiful that, that in the middle of this act in which I am meant to be giving myself to this person she is meant to be receiving that give, gift and that receptivity itself being the gift she gives to me, that if I turn my eyes from her who ought to be the center of my attention and I turn it onto a screen uh, which you know involves, I think for the most part, uh, maybe physically diseased, you know, emotionally unstable actors pretending to enjoy sex. It's just not beautiful. And so it's been my experience that if you say to anybody, Christian or not, they might not have a moral problem with porn. But if you sort of say, is this the kind of person you want to be remembered as? Is this, is this how you would you want to live? I think if they if you take them seriously, if they take you seriously, they're probably going to say, maybe not. You know, I don't think too many people feel terrifically awesome after shutting a laptop, after jerking off to porn. It's just, it's just not noble. It's not good. It's not beautiful. And so it affects our marriages. It affects us individually. It mm-hmm. affects society. Um, so you asked, and it's a big question. I'm going to answer one aspect of it very briefly so I don't begin to bore people. But you say, well, how does a person begin to find hope? And I would say two preliminary things. Uh, one, I don't think we should view freedom from pornography as a destination. I think rather we should view it as a daily choice that we make by our actions. Um, And the reason for that is, I think we've all had that experience if we've looked at pornography. Uh, We fall to it and and we swear and declare, I will never do this again. And we get all very emotional, very upset, you know. And that might be admirable, but it lacks the concreteness of a good resolution. So... Rather than saying, I'm never going to do this again, I think it's more appropriate and more helpful to say, today, I won't look at porn. And I agree with you, Gomer. I don't think any recovering porn addict is an island. We need people. Uh, I've currently uh, been engaged with a friend of mine. Uh, we are we're doing this thing where I'm like, all right, so here's the deal. If you look at porn or masturbate, if I look at porn or masturbate, there's a penalty involved here. Right. And so I'm going to we, we agreed on this little prayer book. It's gorgeous. Leather bound. It's like 80 bucks. Right. It's like, All right. So if you look at pornography, you know, you have to buy me this prayer book, dude. And <laughs> That's great. The, the point of that, of course, is not to trivialize the issue of porn. I mean, it would be good if our motivation was the love of God. And of course, that's the goal. Uh, and yet I think God stoops to conquer and little things like this. I think, remind us that um, when someone looks at pornography, those actions have consequences and it ought to hurt us in that sense. We, we ought to know that this is robbing something from us um, and it should cost. Yeah, and I, so I, I think, think that's great because there is 
an intangibleness connected to pornography and all of that stuff that outside of the technological world, we just wouldn't know. You know, like, for instance, like our, our DNA and all this stuff from, from evolution, like we were, uh, we're still people raised out in, uh, in the bush, right? We're still people who are genetically meant for, you know, we're hardwired for fight and flight with like tigers and bears and all that stuff. And now we're, we sit, I know, right? Uh, and now we sit in front of a computer and we get an angry email and fight or flight kicks in, you know, and we're like freaking out, anxious, stressed. And, you know, uh, we have these reactions to something that's an email. You know what I mean? Like, our, you know, our mentally, like we're still hardwired for living out in the wild, right? Um, the primitive life, that's what we've evolved in. And yet, um, there, so the, I, I heard this one guy who said, you know, I'm a knowledge worker. Um, I'm very successful. I can close a $100,000 deal by 10 o'clock in the morning. He said, but then I'll go and I'll clean my house from top to bottom, both floors, blah, 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 all by myself, you know, wipe everything down, clean everything, get done at 5 p.m., and I actually will feel better about my day because I did something physical and moved around. Uh -huh. then, you know, and, but when you think, of, think about that and connect it to pornography, I mean, think about what that does to your, your mind, your psyche, your, your, um, your emotions, your ability to connect. That was impossible, you know, 50 years ago, 100 years ago, before movies, you know, all of this stuff. Um, you know, 200 years ago, this, this notion of the constant stimulation uh, of erotic material being piped into you constantly, that is messing with, you know, your, what you call your lizard brain, you know, on some level. And that's why I think, you know, oversaturation to our bodies causes crazy things. So in one sense, you're hypersexualized and you become, you can't get an erection. You're hypersexualized, you can't climax. Or you're hypersexualized and you take all that dirty stuff that you've been watching and you pour it on to the one you love, you know? And trying to make that as exciting as staring at images because the reality is your body doesn't know the difference. It's just reacting to this, this, this visual stimulus that you're that you're just saturating yourself with that's i think that's one of the interesting dangers of this how does a a mind like ours deal with this massive amount of saturation i, I talk to young kids who look at pornography every day you know and uh you know teenagers who are looking for fine freedom and they're like yeah. you know how, how long do you look at pornography well every day for how long uh 45 minutes to an hour i'm like oh buddy no like you're <laughs> i think it was i think it was jason everett who said you know 200 years ago yeah, a man couldn't see uh, a number of women in 200 lifetimes that a young teenager sees in, you know, a Friday afternoon. Right. <laughs> you know yeah, what I mean? That's so true. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, I, and again, like going back to these conversations I always have, recently I had a conversation with a young guy who came up to me and he was staring, you know, kind of at my chest and he was awkward. And he said, I know it's because of pornography that I can't look at girls in the eye. And he said, whenever I do, I think dirty stuff. So I have to look at their forehead and pretend I'm looking at them. I mean, this just... Well, uh, so, you know, I, I think we all recognize this is a problem. And yeah. I imagine most people who are listening to your show, you know, they know it's a problem. What they want to know is, okay, but how, how, do, I, how do I find healing? Yeah. I, I think, you know, all of us on this podcast would want to say, you know, brother, we love you. Or sister, we love you. You are not alone. You are not your sins. You are not your mistakes. You are not what you looked up this morning and you are lovable regardless of what you think you're welcome to think you're unlovable just like you're welcome to think the earth is flat you would be wrong in both cases b-o-b right? <laughs> i don't know what that means i don't know oh sorry he's just a rapper who's been um oh, saying that that the earth is flat oh that's oh, right that's i saw on. that on my facebook feed good call <laughs> thank you 
Yeah, so I think it's great that we speak about this, Mercy. And so at the Porn Effect, we have a lot of material there that just helps people start to begin making the steps. You know, I mean, there's no magical solution. If there was, I would bottle it and sell it, but there isn't. In fact, all there are is making good choices. Um, I heard someone say a relapse isn't something that happens to you. A relapse is the consequence of a series of bad decisions you've made. And I like that. You know, it's not just something that magically happens. We, we've got to be vigilant. And, you know, I had this beautiful thought. I, I believe it may have been from the Holy Spirit. Um, I was reading Matthew chapter 6. Uh, let me just quickly look this up. Um, I know this is great for podcast material. Oh, no, right. Well, I'll talk. I'll well, just mention something. When you... Yeah, yeah, I found- Oh, okay, no, you go, you go, you go. Well, yeah, our Lord says, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you'll put on. Yeah, he goes on to say, um, you know, be anxious about the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. And in a similar way, I think we could say, do not be anxious about not looking at porn. Now, obviously the, the desire to not look at porn is more noble than what I'm going to wear and eat. And yet it's still not the goal we should be aiming at. I think instead we should seek first the kingdom of God and not looking at porn will be given to us. And so I think too often, you know, we restrict our goals. You know, the, the goal of your life and my life is to become fully alive, to become holy, to become sanctified. And that means a whole lot more than not looking at porn. And I think the number one lie the addict believes is that I'm not lovable. And because of this, too often his prayer life will become mechanistic. You know, he'll say, you know, i got to pray the rosary every day so I don't look at porn. And you'll hear people say, I looked at porn last you know, Tuesday and I know it's because I didn't pray my rosary and that's why I looked at porn. And I'm like, dude, stop blaming the Blessed Mother. It's not her fault. You know, it's yours. And I think instead of this sort of um, mechanistic thing, I put in this, you give me this, what we really need is vulnerability. We need to be on our knees before our Blessed Lord and ask for the grace to receive his love and that receive the knowledge that he doesn't just love us, but that he likes us, um, that he desires us. And I think it's that vulnerability before our blessed Lord that's going to, to, to begin to help us, not the sort of, and honest to goodness, sometimes I don't want to tell people in my porn talks about prayer because I think too often we pray in order to be found worthy by God, yeah, you know? Yeah. Uh, and that's precisely un- you know, the opposite thing we need to be doing. That's very unhelpful. Uh, what we do need is this vulnerability before our, before our Lord, try and receive his love, seek holiness, and these other things will be given to us. Yeah, yeah being yeah. on your knees and saying, this is what I did. Don't let this be who I am. Like, let me be defined by you. Like, what am I really searching for? Help me aim all these, like, weird false desires. Aim it right at you, Lord. Like, help me, you know, like this this experience of, I love how you said that. It becomes mechanistic, um, almost like a, a Pelagian works-based righteousness, right? Like, if I say enough Hail Marys, go to enough daily masses and do enough confessions, then you have to heal me or whatever it is. You, you know, and then when we mess up, we blame ourselves, we shame ourselves, and then the spiral gets even worse. But the reality is, yes. yeah, I tell people all the time, just look at the cross and say, do, do you really think he would go through that and abandon you in the midst of this? Is your struggle with pornography or drugs or anything else, is your struggle with that enough to make him run away from you and yet the crucifix was real? He did all of that for you, so why would he not walk with you during this? I mean, he's on that cross because of this, because he believes your sin mm-hmm. is ugly, is you know, it's destroying you, and 
He wants to make you beautiful. He wants to make you new. He wants to give you um, a life that is worth living, as Fulton Sheen used to say, right? And so this notion of like, oh, but I'm not living up to this thing. And it's like, yeah, you're not. Guess what? He died on a cross for that. Okay, so get over that part and meditate on, wow, he died on the cross for me. He did it for me. He did it for me. And then what ends up happening is you stop you stop actually being selfish. You stop like, oh my God, because it's, it's another way that pride gets us. Um, despair is a form, is a manifestation of pride yeah. because it's like, I'm not worthy of, or I didn't meet the goal that I desperately should have. And that was communicated to, to me by a little Yoda priest named Father Gus who punched me in the <laughs> face in the middle of my first confession at Franciscan University <laughs> and uh, told me I wasn't, he put his hand on my shoulder and he said, uh, I'll never forget these words. He said, uh, he was squeezing my shoulder as hard as he could as a little old man because he was trying to hurt me, and it was hurtful. Um, I, I cried later, and he said, uh, he goes, you're discouraged. And I was like, yeah. And he goes, stop it. Discouragement is from the devil. God gives you courage. You're not repenting. You're not repenting. Repentance doesn't mean discouragement. It means you own up with what you did, and then you own up to what Christ did by surrendering mm-hmm. it to him. Now get out of this confessional and surrender your life to Christ again. And I was like, okay, you know. And then he punched me. <laughs> yeah. So, and what's really great about that is like God's always going to work, you know. So it, like I, I need to be reminded that like even when I feel that like He's going like tr- like to trust God and that He knows what He is doing. And when I when I had a chance to like really quickly look at your book, Matt. Um, the one that's called, um, I just want to make sure that I get, I don't get right, it is, it is called re- Restored, right? Yes. One of the things that I really liked it was, um, and the really, the, the extremely brief uh, part that I was able to read where it, where, um, it talked about, like, this book is, this book is uh, um, meant to help break the silence. That is so key because there's such, there's a, there's a really big power that comes out when we talk about this stuff, like, I will. I will never uh, uh, forget the very like, first time when I was in high school, and I was just like dying uh, because of this. And I was like, no one knows. And then I was hanging out with a whole bunch of my friends, and they were like, "Man, I hate it when I scribble. I hate it when I scribble like masturbation." And I was like, "You too?" And there was such freedom in that. And it's almost like God was like, "See, I told you, you're okay. See." <laughs> Yeah, and unfortunately, the pendulum has swung the exact opposite way since you and I were in high school. So that now, you know, I'll be giving a talk, you know, to teenagers, and they all talk about them looking at porn. Yeah. You know, they talk about how they look at porn in front of the girls. I'm like, oh my goodness, I would, you should be ashamed of this. I would have never brought this up yeah. when I was a teenager. The social yeah. mores have swung away. Uh, yeah, and all but back to yeah, 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 Luke, what you were saying about this, the silence, breaking the silence. You know, I think when it comes to spouses who have betrayal trauma due to finding out their spouses looked at porn. What makes that so pernicious, I think, is is twofold. The first is uh, the spouse almost always says to me after a talk, what can I do about him? Uh, the implication or the, the, the assumption there is, uh, you know, I don't need healing. He does. And you, you want to say, you know what, you need to ask a prior question. And that's what do I need to do about myself? Because you've been betrayed and you need healing. I think the second thing is, I mean, if you're a Catholic woman and your husband looks at porn, you don't want to tell anyone about that because one, it's sort of shameful. And two, you don't want to drag your husband's name through the mud because, you know, your husband might be a good guy who just struggles with this and you don't mm-hmm. want to tarnish his name to all of your friends. 
And so the woman lives in silence. And so you might have a group of women, all of which who are dealing with this, none of them are talking about it, hence the book. That's amazing. Yeah, um, that's really. Yeah, I was going to pivot to kind of more of your online stuff um, with sure. in terms of the porn effect. What are you, um, what are you seeing in terms of response to the the videos that you're posting, the audio stuff? Um, is that is that a good starting place for people who maybe are listening to this show and maybe they've tried something, maybe they had an accountability group and or whatever, and things have fallen flat? Where, where should they go on your website? Well, if they go to the porn effect, what they'll see at the very top of the page is battle plan. That's the first sort of thing they can click on. And that takes them through these five stages that I think, again, aren't five steps, give me $25 and you'll be free. But I think five (laughs) indispensable steps in journeying towards freedom. And that is prayer and fasting, accountability, getting informed, possibly counseling, and then patient perseverance. Another thing I'd recommend is the app that Mark Hart and I recently put out. It's on Android and the iPhone, all right? It's free, and it's called Victory. Yeah, it's awesome. And the way that – yeah, thanks. The way that works is, you know, you download it. uh, Then you see a calendar, and and morning, noon, and night, it will check in with you and say, how are you doing? And you can say, good, okay, or bad. If you have a setback, you click setback. It then asks you to assess your setback. Were you bored, lonely, angry, stressed, tired? What was your trigger, right? And then say after a couple of weeks, you might look down at that calendar and it'll say you've had three setbacks, but you know what? You've had six victories. We shouldn't just be counting our setbacks. Our Lord doesn't do that. We should also take note of how we're being victorious. There's also an accountability button on this app. You click that once, and it will send a notification to three accountability partners, up to three, of your choice. And you'll just get a notification on the phone that says, please pray for Matt. Please pray for Goma. That's it. And then you've got three people who are going to check in with you. So I would highly – I really do hope that people would take advantage of that. It's called Victory. It's free. Get it on iPhone or Android. That's awesome. I love that. That is really cool. Yeah, Yeah, I I have a a couple people – that I'm accountable to, um, or that, yeah, they have, they, that's how I found the app. They were like, you need to get this app, install it so you can be my prayer partner. So I was like, sweet. Oh, that's cool. Lives on my phone. And now, another thing we're about to launch this month is a six video series for women. It's called uh, Captive to, Captiv- uh, to Captivating. And there's this beautiful young woman. She's discerning the sisters of life right now. What a great order. Uh, what a great yeah. order. Yeah, phenomenal. And um, she struggled with pornography as a teenager. She's found freedom from that. And in these six videos, she really does a fantastic job at journeying with women. Uh, And it's sort of like a six-week course where you get meditations from her every week and a video every week. And so that's got we're really pumped about that. That's going to be out in the next couple of weeks. That's awesome. And uh, And then one one final thing is really quickly, we have an online forum. So there's about a thousand people. There's an online forum for men and an online forum for women, and they're separate. Okay. Uh, and that's a really cool place for men to talk and women to talk to women and men to talk to men. Yeah. And then um, where can we find your book um, Restored if we want to if we want to get it? Uh, yeah, that's uh, RestoredBook.com. Rest- you can uh, re- read the first story for free there. RestoredBook.com. And then you know we're selling it for two dollars a book in bulk. So if you buy a box of twenty. That's 40 bucks. Um, I really don't expect the book to sell well because I think it's a very sensitive topic. But my last book delivered, you know, Audrey Assar's book, her story was in that. That's, that's already sold out 50,000. That's pretty impressive. Oh, wow. wow. That's awesome. 
Yeah, you know, for a Catholic book about porn without images, right? Uh, and, uh, so, it's just the Sistine so, Chapel, page after yeah. page. <laughs> but I really do hope that people would buy this because we just want to crank this thing out. And, um, you know, I, I was saying to Luke before the talk, before the interview, if there are people listening to this and they genuinely cannot afford the book, you know, email you guys and I will send you a copy of the ebook for free because, you know, we do, I do not want to stand before our Lord on Judgment Day, you know, and be like, I was just trying to make money. That's all. And, and let that stand in the way. Um, yeah. But, you know, at the same time, if you can afford it, that would be really cool because you'd be kind of helping us out. And But if you can't, you know, maybe y'all have a contact information they could reach out to you and we'll get them a book. Yeah. Cool. What's the, yeah. what's the difference between the two books? Well, Delivered is a book for men and women who have looked at porn and found freedom. Those are the stories. There's 10 stories of men and women. Now, in that book, we've got a former porn star, right? That's actually the woman I interviewed in Dublin. Gotcha. There's a f- former stripper who I helped get out of stripping. Uh, there's an inter- three interviews with me and her. There's a couple of young women who struggle with porn and found freedom, one of them being Audrey Assad. And then there's men, right? So that's so. If you're someone who's like, I want to, I want victory stories of people who've been struggling with porn and found freedom, get delivered. Boom. Okay. If you're a wife who's suffering silently, this kind of betrayal trauma, you want restored. Okay, that's yeah. that's amazing. You are hitting all the areas where people are are really suffering. Victory stories. Like I remember someone telling me, they're like, you want to lose weight? <laughs> yes. And they're like, <laughs> read the stories, read the victory stories. And then the moment you feel mm-hmm. like you're lacking, like don't read a diet book. That'll just make you feel ashamed. Oh, I should have been doing that. You know, it's like just uh, read it. Read about the morbidly obese grandfather who lost, you know, two persons of weight and uh, now is bench pressing the kegs he used to drink. You know, like focus wow. on the victory stories because the victory stories allow you to experience a wide range of people who persist, who attained, and gives you hope. And if you are out there and you feel so ashamed of yourself when you turn off your computer, shut off the screen on your iPhone or whatever it is, you know, close the lid of your, iP- of your laptop, and just that shame washes over you, there is something out there that can literally cast that shame away. And that something is, first, the grace of Christ. And B, the porn effects battle plan can help you break free of that cycle. I mean, we don't need to keep doing this. We don't need to keep living this this painful life there is hope there is mercy and there is salvation in this right we can there i mean i just i just feel like there is so much hopelessness i talked with a dad the other day and he just looked at me and said well my son's into pornography again you know and he had and his son will come to him at least they have that wonderful relationship some will come to him and be like i did it again dad and his dad's just like okay buddy we'll pick ourselves up and do it you know try again and all this uh, stuff it. yeah but um you know, his dad's just like, why is he doing it? I'm like, I wish there was just like one intellectual answer. Oh, I wasn't breastfed long enough. And then that's what. Li- so now that I <laughs> well, know that, everything I think, else. Snaps. I think one answer is it feels really good. <laughs> I, think, yeah. I think that doesn't a, have to be that complicated. I know. I mean, oh, people make it so- masturbation feel really good. Yeah. And therefore, it beca- it's a very efficient escape behavior. Like binging on Netflix is also a very efficient escape behavior. Pornography is a very efficient escape behavior. So if I'm overwhelmed, if I'm stressed out, if I feel emasculated, if I feel depressed, yeah. if I feel, you know, the monotony of daily life is just killing me, then I can turn to this thing and I will feel immediately excited and it will tear me out of that sort of mundane yeah. and into something really exciting. So there you go. Yeah. I, I remember hearing one alcoholic say, I was only able 
to stop drinking when I could admit that I loved getting drunk. So his thing was, I love getting drunk, but it's killing me. And I think we need that sort of honesty. Yeah. yeah. You might say to yourself, I like looking at porn. Okay, there you go. But it's killing me. And so I need to stop. Yeah. Um, so I think it was St. Thomas Aquinas who said, and if he didn't, I'm sure he'd agree with me. The only thing. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, I want you to use that as the front bumper okay. of, your, of this podcast. Right. Done. Uh, <laughs> you know, he, to say the, the only thing that can conquer a desire is a stronger one. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. And what could be stronger than a man's or a woman's dialogue of porn? It's not shame. It's not guilt tactics. It's we were created for love and to be loved. And we are created for a more satisfying, adventurous life than the porn industry has to offer us. And that's pretty awesome. So, oh, we can't top that. Yeah. So where, uh, where can people find you uh, besides the porn Where can people find you? Well, you know, they could. I would love it if people wanted to follow me on Twitter. My handle is at Matt Frad. Uh, the same thing with Instagram. If, if people wanted to connect with me, they could, yeah. Beautiful. And we'll put all of this in our show notes. You can find our show notes. Uh, what is this? Episode 31, 32? Uh, I think it's recorded. Yeah, it might be 30. Uh, who knows? No, it's yes, 32. 30, 32. 32. Okay, so you can find 32. this at layevangelist.com slash catching foxes slash 32. It'll be on the website with all the show notes. You can get the audio there. Or you can, in your podcast catcher of choice, um, just, uh, you know, someplace you just tap the screen, scroll up, whatever it is, our show notes will be embedded in all those audio files. So, um, once again, Matt, thank you so much yeah. for coming on. Now, thank you're, you're, awesome. yeah, do you want to, do you want to kind of announce what you're going to be doing in the podcast space? Is that a thing you want to talk about? <laughs> well, I don't really have a clear direction right now, but there is, there is, um, hopes to start a sort of, um, you know, anti-pornography movement podcast where I interview, you know, the top minds in neuroscience and sociology and psychology. So we are, awesome. we are yeah, we're talking about it. And I think it'll be pretty exciting. So we'll, we'll see. Awesome. Yeah. So you are Thanks effectively so the porn guy, right? Yeah, accidentally, I think. I was doing <laughs> Catholic apologetics for three years and then decided people don't need me to write about purgatory. They've got other awesome people who can do that. I'm just going to talk about porn, hence, uh, therefore, making my mother very proud. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. Oh, man, that's awesome, yeah. Uh, you could call your, your um, podcast Porngatory. Ah, or uh, Porn Again Christian. Oh, uh, what else? like that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> hey, um, really, really quick, just because this is how we always kind of like end our show at times. Besides a Metallica, who are you listening to right now? Oh, wow. Good question. Um, I tend to oscillate between, I'm not just saying this to sound sophisticated. I really love Gregorian chant. I listen to a lot of that. Nice. Uh, I like listening to Radiohead very much. Uh, my favorite album is, um, is it Amnesiac, I think it's called. That would be my favorite. Um, that's, I like Josh Garrels. Have you heard him? Nope. I want to say maybe. <laughs> listen to his album. It's called Home, Josh Garrels Home. And then I have to do a plug for my sister, Emma Frad. Her band is called Interior Castle. And they are just gorgeously yeah, awesome. Yeah, I really liked it. It was really good. Yeah, good because that would have been really awkward if you're like, I thought they sucked. <laughs> yeah. Your sister is terrible. The worst. <laughs> <laughs> the Catholic Iggy Azalea? No, no, no. I always say that because she's Australian. Um, so uh, that's awesome. I thought you were going to say you listen to avant-garde Gregorian chant, but then that doesn't exist. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what that is. No, it doesn't. Uh, Luke, what are you listening to? Uh, I'm going to plug again King's Kaleidoscope. I flipping love them. Me and Arlene Spensley have been freaking out over, over there. <laughs> They're great. Ugh. King's Kaleidoscope. You don't like it? 
I, I mean, I haven't listened to a single one of your recommendations. Maybe I should. Listen, it is they're like a <laughs> hipster praise and worship band who doesn't suck. Very, very good. Oh. Okay. Oh. Well, hey, Luke, I'm probably gonna forget that. So shoot me an email. I'd, I'd love to. Oh, listen yeah, to them. yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Wonderful. And if anyone wants to know, I'm listening to audiobooks on leadership. <laughs> <laughs> I've just listened to How the Mighty Fall and Good to Great. So uh, <laughs> if you haven't listened to those. You should at your local Audible store. All righty. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Matt. Yeah, um, Matt. Yeah. Thanks a lot. You, you were great. You're funny. And uh, you have a delicious accent. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, hey, I've got a whole uh, page on my website. I'm going to send it to you over Skype right now. What I'm doing is I'm compiling blogs, and they're all called something like this. Porn and emotional health, what the experts are saying. Porn and marriage, what the experts are saying. And in all of these blogs, I give 10 quotations from either experts or peer-reviewed journals. And then I meticulously footnote them for people's plagiarizing convenience. Beautiful. So you'll see that. And now that link right there I just sent you, you know, you could do these like little links. You could go through here like porn and the brain. You click that, you get 10 different quotations from 10 different sources uh, or sometimes multiple, even more sources, um, where people can see what the latest science is saying about porn. So that's awesome. Dude, this that's is really cool. great. You are doing some really good, good, uh, good and awesome stuff, sir. You are. I, um, I, yeah. I, I'm excited. I got a book coming out with Ignatius. I, it takes me forever to write. I'm just brutal at it. But I have a book coming out with Ignatius next year. It's a non-religious response to pornography. Right. Right. And so there's no talk of Christ or God or faith or any of that. It's just the, just like we need secular responses to abortion. You know, we need logical, scientific, exclusively. Anyway, guys, I really appreciate you having me on. Oh, yeah, man, of course.